Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Backup system like I do in stats. For those of you not in stats, it's a whole different thing. I got a two recording systems going. Um, psychoactive drug in the world because think about it, you've got 1.7 billion Muslims in the world, they can't drink alcohol. They're not supposed to. They drink a lot of coffee. North Americans drink a lot of coffee. Europeans drink a lot of coffee. It's a pretty popular, South Americans drink a lot of coffee. That was just going on its own. How many people here don't ingest caffeine? Chocolate? Not often. Like, like, not at all or not often? See? Yeah. You make a point of it, like it's a thing of, okay, now I'm getting pissed off, of, uh, which of you are using your mind control? Oh, that's going backwards. backwards. It's going backwards on its own. Someone's saying uh, this. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Take, take the cover off now. All right. Those are off. That's his connection to my memory. So you make like, a point I, of trying not to. I just like I don't drink coffee. Okay, but I have drank coffee. Yeah. Okay. What about tea? No tea. I drink nothing. Yeah. I didn't yeah. say anything like I, I drink pop though. Yeah, you drink Maybe the coke now and then. Yeah. Okay. So that's that. Anybody else? That's something? No. Okay. Chocolate is one that usually people are surprised that there's a chocolate bar that has uh, caffeine. Or as one of my students once asked me in Newfoundland, how much caffeine's in a bar bar? And I had no idea what he was saying. <laughs> and I finally had him slow down and I said, listen, please speak slowly. I don't have one of your ridiculous accents. This guy by now has a PhD, Eric Lang. Um, so I've had actually in the history of this, teaching this class, and I've taught this maybe 10 times, this course, I have had about three people that genuinely didn't ingest caffeine and they tend to all be Mormons. Because Mormons don't ingest caffeine, and they're very careful about it. So they know that there's caffeine in all these other things. So it tends to be something based on religion, uh, which is fine, uh, whatever you're into. But the point is that it's so popular, and so many things that we ingest have caffeine in it. Let's see if this works now. Yes! Oh, there's the molecule. For those of you that look at molecule diagrams and go, oh! <laughs> you can see, as, typical, as is typical with, with psychoactive drugs, there are actually pretty simple molecules. These aren't really great big long peptide chains or something like that. Pretty simple. Um so caffeine includes and here's some a cup of coffee. Now you'll see numbers screw this I'm not gonna use this today. This will be awesome. You'll see numbers for a cup of coffee around, say, 65 sometimes in the literature, but that tends to, that's a teacup when they say cup of coffee, and that tends to be, <laughs> okay, you can't do this on your own, uh, a teacup, and uh, that's of very weakly brewed coffee. Most people prefer much stronger coffee, and a mug of coffee, is it still green on the top? Yeah. Yeah. I gotta light something on fire. I don't know what. <laughs> yeah. 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 We apologize for the. I don't want to go from present slides in case. I'm going to break this thing. Just in case it remembers that it's me. Okay. It seems to be obeying my commands. And that was the day that Skynet was online. Um, so, coffee, typically a lot stronger than that. Uh, um, your average real mug of coffee that most of us would drink is more like about 130, 140. One of those big Tim Hortons, um, you know, a big cup. Mm -hmm. 
You got one there? Yeah. Yeah. One of those? Uh, that's pr that's not a large though, is it? No. No. That yeah, you're hitting about 130 there. A large one, you're probably talking about 200 milligrams a day. What about the big snorting cats in animals? Is that not possible? I don't even know what big ones. <laughs> Explain them to me. How big? How big, how big a mother are we talking? About that size there? Well, okay, yeah. So I mean, and depending on how, if you like your coffee somewhat strong, like most people do, you're probably again you're probably pushing 200 milligrams. Um, tea's pretty now. Tea's a really hard one to do because you've got green tea and black tea and I don't know blue tea and all these <laughs> other teas. And tea's become a thing. Remember when tea wasn't a thing and it was just red rose? Well, those days are gone. So when I was young. <laughs> Why do I put it that way? I'm sitting right here. Um, a standard cup of tea with a tea bag is about 40 milligrams of, of tea. You will hear people say very strange things about tea. Things like, well, it's not active caffeine. I heard that one before. What does that even mean? It's caffeine. Okay. So depending on the tea, it may be 40, 30, but it also may be as high as a couple of hundred, depending on how you've brewed the tea. Uh, and what kind of tea it is. So tea's a lot more variable than coffee as a rule. By the way, coffee, um, the lighter the roast, the more caffeine. Most people don't realize that. They think the darker tea, or darker coffee, I'm sorry, has more caffeine for some reason. It tends to have less, actually. Uh, it's like how people think darker beers are stronger. They don't have to be. Right? That's a subtle difference that doesn't really matter. Um, Soft drinks, so colas, we're talking 30 to 90 in a can. Okay. Um, up until very recently, it was illegal to sell anything in Canada that had added caffeine that didn't have an ingredient that also had caffeine. Cola nuts have caffeine in them. So making Coke, there's very little actual caffeine in a cola nut. They might they need for a Coke. They actually take caffeine that they buy from companies that decaffeinate coffee. And just dump it in the soft drink. Yeah, I'm not opposed to it. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, caffeine on its own is exceedingly bitter, which explains, according to the Pepsi company, why they put so much caffeine in Mountain Dew. Because it's sickly sweet. Remember what Homer Simpson said when he was given the choice between Mountain Dew and crab juice? Oh, how can anybody handle that horrible flavor in their mouth? Give me a can of crab juice. Um, <laughs> Up until very recently, it was illegal in Canada. It is now, I believe, legal in Canada to sell Mountain Dew with caffeine in it. Right? They're hooking our kids on drugs. I wouldn't agree. Cold and headache medications. Uh, caffeine can be useful uh, for a headache. Uh, depending, 15 to 50 milligrams. Uh, there's stuff like Rev. You've seen that stuff? It's like, it's like, oh, or various other caffeinated... Alcoholic beverages you can buy pre-made. They all taste like uh, blue, blue Mr. Freezy, right? And they're horrible. It's probably around 100 milligrams. I haven't seen any data on these these drinks typically, but it's probably it's probably equivalent to a cup of coffee or a Coke. Okay. And they're horrible. I don't know how anybody drinks these. Those things. Chocolate, which is one that surprises people. Uh, a, a full chocolate bar uh, of, of actual chocolate, not, you know, with the various, uh, you know, I don't know what you got today, your nougat, okay, or your Turkish delight from the big Turk, the chocolate bar no one likes. You do not. Really? Oh, it's horrible. How can you, that's like crab juice. <laughs> you're, the, you're the only person I've ever met who likes the big Turk. Does anybody else have me? Wow, it's groundswell of public opinion, okay. Perhaps I'm wrong on that. Even hot chocolate, though, a cup of hot chocolate will have caffeine in it. Okay. Uh, the reason that kids at Easter are running around and seem crazy is not the sugar. It's the caffeine in the chocolate. Right? It's the caffeine in the chocolate. And the placebo effect. <laughs> Um, wake up pills, so, you know, no dose, those kind of things can be between, say, 105, you can get ones that are about 500 milligrams. So, when you take one of those, it's like drinking a cup of coffee. Go ahead. Is that the uh, chocolate bar that made uh, that, the 
The Red Bull's only got about 100 milligrams of caffeine in it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that, you, that you can see, though. That's the high end. <coughs> yeah. Red Bulls aren't... It's probably the speed at which people drink Red Bull that has the effect. Because you don't chug a cup of coffee. Well, maybe you do. Maybe there's something you probably, you people that also eat big Turks probably do that. But <laughs> as a rule, people don't chug cups. You will chug a Red Bull. No one's going, oh, this is a delicious Red Bull. Because Red Bull doesn't taste good. Right? Again, now you all are just, it's great. Kids today and your Red Bull and your big Turks. Um, 500 milligrams, that's five cups coffee at once. Remember, one, so that's the sort of low-end ones, wake-up pills. That's really not something that you would, you would notice it like it would make you more alert. Five, 500, that'd be like having five cups of coffee at the same time. That's a lot of coffee. Whether it's pee. Buy over the counter. <laughs> you, you can buy them. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you can, I mean, the interesting thing with those for abuse potential is you can grind them up and snort them. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just giving, I'm giving out tips for people. So, <laughs> so tips for drug use. You want to do it right. <laughs> the guy's walking by and I'm saying pro tips for drug use. That's great. <laughs> um, I think innovation center is probably. Yeah, we could start making those. That's an innovation. Um, it's almost always taken orally. Uh, though people do snort. Yeah, I've seen people snort caffeine pills and it like, just sort of struck me as odd. Absorbing the small intestine. No, it's like doing speed. Yeah, that's, you're not selling me on anything there. Crosses the blood-brain barrier and it crosses the placental barrier. So when you, when pregnant women drink a cup of coffee, their their baby's having caffeine too. Okay. And in fact, if you are pregnant and you're and you ingest caffeine, you'll notice that the fetus, uh, you know, later on when you can feel the movement around. Which I don't know how women deal with that, but um, if guys got pregnant, we would have dealt. But some years ago, you know, 500 years ago, we would have come up with some system of, 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 of taking the thing out and putting it in a jar for the next six months. So it's like, I don't want to have that thing moving around inside me. That's weird. I don't, I don't know how women deal with that. It impresses me. The part about cutting ourselves open was a bit weird. I'm sorry. Um, but women will notice, in fact, when they have a cup of coffee in the morning, that the fetus will move around a little bit more. Okay, so it's not, it's probably also something not to be worried about as a pregnant woman. A pregnant woman worry about enough things. Um, it's absorbed more slowly from cold beverages, so you don't get the same hit from a Coke that you do from a cup of coffee. Okay? That's pretty typical of all drugs. Less than 2% of the caffeine is actually excreted. This should tell you something. We are caffeine metabolizing and absorbing machines. Adult, we being adult women. So we use it. It goes in our brain and we use it. Half-life, uh, depending on the person, 30 minutes to three and a half hours. If you're a heavier user, it'll be more like 30 minutes. So you, you may not be somebody who drinks a lot of coffee, and you might see somebody who has coffee after dinner, and you think, how can you do that? Well, that's because maybe they've had seven cups of coffee already today. So the half-life's 30 minutes. By the time you get to bedtime, there's very, very little caffeine left in you. Okay. Wait, when's Half-Life 3 coming out? <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, I know. Same day Duke Nukem, the next one comes out. God, that was, that was horrible that day, right? I just saw, I was going to buy it, then I saw review and said, no. You can get it now in EB Games, you're like, they pay you to take it off their hands. <laughs> and those are new ones, not used ones. Um, its metabolism is slowed by birth control pills. So people on birth control pills, coffee will affect them more. Okay. It's also sped up by eating broccoli, or presumably cauliflower and broccolini. As they're all, they're all the same. So when you eat broccoli and drink coffee, so if you're making broccoli with a delicious coffee glaze, what do vegetarians eat? It's, it's like that, right? Oh, carve up the broccoli for Thanksgiving. Um, I'm just making fun. And I kind of believe that as well. Um, so, you know, these fat is two times faster than smokers. Again, this is, I talked about this the other day. This is why smokers, in fact, can drink more coffee. 
and have to drink more coffee to get the effect they would be interested in. Two times quicker, so you're gonna be a lot closer to the 30 minute level. So if you wanna drink a lot of coffee, I'd take up smoking. Kidding, guys, please. Please don't. It's bad for you. All right. So that's all with adults. Well, at least not little kids. So, not toddlers and below. Entirely different in kids and especially in infants. Um, we're talking about 85% being excreted. And you might think, well, then it's not going to affect anybody if 85% is excreted. But it has a four day half life. So even if it's most of it's going out, you have a half life of four days. So if you give your kid a ch an Easter chocolate bunny, you know, because if I'm not mistaken, in the Bible, they said we celebrate Easter by giving out chocolate bunnies. I think that's in there. At the, at the it's back, right? It's, it's, it's at the back. It's, it's, a, it's a, yeah. Well, it's, it's rebirth, I guess, right? Bunnies, chocolate, I don't get. Okay. Bunnies are fertile. Right? The eggs, I get. Anyway, point is, so you give it a kid and a good bunny, not one of those hollow ones. You know, the hollow, waxy ones, you go, oh, this tastes like paraffin. But a really good, solid one, and it weighs a good, you know, 500 grams. You're probably giving your kid 500 milligrams of caffeine. Okay, so you have 500 milligrams of caffeine. In four days, you still have 250. In other words, four days later, your kid still has the equivalent of two and a half cups of coffee in it. Four days later, he's down to a one and a quarter. Oh, he's now he's got the equivalent of just like a medium Tim Hortons coffee in it. And keep doing the math. I've seen, this is something I've seen in Newfoundland, I've never seen it here, but I see people give their kids Pepsi in a bottle, like a baby bottle. I've seen that here. You've seen it here? Okay, so it's not just Newfoundland. Yep. First of all, bad choice for child's teeth, generally. You know, I just give them a big handful of sugar and just force it down his throat. But that's the first thing. But the second thing is the caffeine. I often walk by people, I used to look and be tempted to say, you know, this is a bad choice you're making. <laughs> you know, it's not good for your kid. You know, I'm not, I don't want to be a know-it-all, but I know more than you. You don't you shouldn't be giving a kid that. But you know what I just think now? Good, because you're going to be up for weeks. <laughs> you know, for weeks. Weeks. Once you hit puberty, probably around 10 or 12, you go to the adult system and you're fine. Uh, this is one of the cases, remember when your mom used to say you're not old enough yet to have coffee? She was right. right? But I know when I... Hit around 12, I started drinking coffee in the morning. It was no big deal. Right? Uh, my son drinks Coke in the morning. I've asked him if he wants a cup of coffee. He's like, oh, gross. But you'll see him having a Coke. I asked him one morning, I said, well, this was about two months ago. I said, are you drinking a Coke? He said, I, yeah. And there's about as much, look, as much sugar in Coke as there's in orange juice. There's a little bit of sugar. And he said, uh, I said, why are you having a Coke? He said, just to get me going. <laughs> what? Remember, he's 12 and he has autism. It's just it's the weirdest thing coming out of my son's mouth. He used to ask when he was younger, can I have caffeine? Because he knew it was caffeine and coke. And no. But now, whatever. Uh, there are different pathways, in fact, to put the metabolic pathways entirely different than kids than it is in adults. So the interesting one we'll talk about here is, is what happens in adults. And in fact, you know, as I said, we aren't excreting it. We, we, we use it, break it down, and it's gone. I like say alcohol, you get a lot of excreting in your, in your breath, right? So coffee breath is not caffeine breath. Well, your breath is bitter. <laughs> it's caffeine breath. So it's much more similar uh, in kids than it is in non-humans. This is one of the things that if you look at Whenever you see research studies about caffeine in non-humans, excuse me, uh, you hear a lot of these things on, they come through the media, science reporters talk about them, etc. Ignore it if it's about rats or monkeys. Just ignore it. Unless you're interested in the caffeine pathways in rats and monkeys, that's a wonderfully interesting thing. But um, it shouldn't tell you anything about human, uh, 
It doesn't. That's going to be longer. Yeah, that's going to be longer. Um, and of course, the baby doesn't need a whole very big dose because it's a little thing. You know, like a fetus that's, when they start moving around around five months or so, they're only about that big. A little tiny thing. So a little tiny dose of caffeine is enough to get the, the, the little baby floating around and it's sort of moving around a lot more, somersaulting. You know when it's weird? It's when they get around eight and a half months and they put their fist right on the mother's belly. And you can actually see the knuckles. <laughs> and that's like, you go, that's, how are you dealing with that? Because like, that's an alien, yeah. yes. <laughs> you expect you to come out, you know. I don't know how women deal with that. I really don't. I've got so much respect for women because, and mostly it's just that. And their higher pain thresholds because of the childbirth. And other But the nice thing is, uh, I can talk a little bit about that. It's really pretty safe for, for a fetus. It's, it's one of the few psychoactive drugs. It's one of the few things pregnant women can enjoy. <laughs> so I think let them enjoy it too. Um, can you have too many, could you do have too much damage in fetus? Probably. But you could do that if you drink too much water too. So neuropsychological effects, or physiological effects. Like alcohol, we're really not quite sure how caffeine works. Um, adenosine is a neuromodulator. Modulator? Modulator. And it inhibits firing the CNS. That's how it works. So caffeine, then, if it blocks adenosine, which it seems to, caffeine, what it's doing is it's disinhibiting. So you're getting more fire. Does that make sense to say that works? Uh, very high doses of caffeine, and these are higher doses than you would get from coffee, will block a benzodiazepine receptor. Uh, we're talking thousands of milligrams there. You would not be getting this from a coffee. You would just be a pharmacological uh, intervention if you had taken too much value. You might, you might be given a shot of caffeine. You would be given a really strong cup of coffee. Okay. But yeah, we're talking thousands of milligrams, a couple thousand, probably. Depending on the person, you must say probably, yada, yada, yada. Um, it seems to cause the release of epinephrine. So, which is the neurotransmitter slash hormone that is released during your fight or flight response. It's excitatory, it's you know, epinephrine or uh, adrenaline is another word for it. Causes smooth muscles to relax and striated muscles to contract. And that should tell you something. Uh, oh, it also decreases airway resistance, so it's good for asthma and colds. So it actually relaxes your airway. So if you're if you're stu if you have a stuffed up nose if you have a, if you're congested, uh, coffee will actually help you. Interestingly, because of the way classical conditioning works, making coffee will will help clear your sinuses. Not actually drinking the coffee. If you already drink coffee, you can't just make coffee if you don't drink coffee. It's not going because you haven't learned the effect, right? But you literally, if you are a coffee drinker and you feel congested, if you start making a pot of coffee, the action of doing that and uh, and the smell of coffee will have a small but usually noticeable effect, which is kind of cool. A lot of asthma puffers have caffeine in them. Like the thing people take for asthma. How much caffeine? That I don't know the answer to. It's two Yeah, but I mean, I doubt it's huge, but again, what's the, would you rather have somebody wheezing or being a little wired? This is why it's in a lot of over-the-counter cold medication. Look at a lot of uh, cold medication. Uh, if you look on the, on the side of the ingredients, it'll say active ingredients, and very often the word of it will be caffeine. Mm -hmm. Very often. 
You get constriction of blood vessels to the brain. And dilation of blood vessels other places. Very often you get these, as we've seen this already, these, these sort of um, different effects in CNS and PNS, so different effects in the, in the brain than in the, the periphery of the nervous system. It might um, help cognitive performance. You know, whenever I say performance, I tend to mean these cognitive tasks, the idea of like uh, keeping a dial steady or uh, keep the pointer in one place. Uh, so old, uh, an honor student of mine from a couple years ago is now doing a master's degree in neuroscience at Western. He did his experiment on giving people caffeine and having them do play a video game. And it was a multitasking video game. Adam Perino, in case you guys know him. Um, so there was also, uh, there's another drug he was giving as well. They were safe drugs that would pass the ethics panel, blah, blah, blah. We explained to them that the pills he was giving had as much caffeine as a cup of coffee, but you know, we screened out people who didn't use caffeine and prayed to some god or something. It was all kind of paid homage to Gorgo. Um, <laughs> that was just for me, basically, but they, I enjoyed it. Um, we didn't find anything. <laughs> now, this is not uncommon in other species' experiments. It's throughout the process, yada, yada, yada. Cool idea, though. It was probably because his task wasn't hard enough. Because his task wasn't hard enough. Right. So the idea of multitasking, so doing a couple things at once. So it should help you focus. If it, if it increases performance, it should help you with something like that. And we know it decreases uh, drowsiness, right? You, you know that. If you're feeling a little tired, you know you're going to go out that night somewhere and you're feeling like, oh my God, I'm going to fall asleep halfway through tonight. Cup of coffee, you feel a little better. Or you think, well, I'll just drink a lot of Coke tonight. Everything will be fine. Red Bull and vodka. Yeah. Classy. Um, it increases fatty acid levels, which could be actually performance enhancing, especially for long athletic events. Um, so it's a controlled substance. Uh, you know, the World Aid Doping Agency for, for sport, for uh, the IOC, for example, for the Olympics. It's controlled. It's not a banned substance. Um, so a lot of Olympic athletes and professional athletes will take caffeine pills. They know how much they can take. A friend of mine uh, was a world-class, well, he was a Canada-class sprinter, but he was he trained with, uh, his coach was a coach that gave Ben Johnson steroids. Um, my friend is now a, a psychologist, actually, in Newfoundland. Apparently, Charlie Francis, the coach, said, you know, I can get your times down a little bit. He said, no, I don't want to do that. Anyway, he said before a meet, they would sit, they would sit there and they just pop caffeine pills. You know, five. You could have the equivalent, he, would tell, he told me that he was told it was the equivalent of 10 cups of coffee in your system. In other words, you could take about 1,000 milligrams of caffeine and not... And you, and you pass the drug test. They did detect, by the way, they did detect 1,000 milligrams of caffeine. It's not like it was a banned substance. It was a controlled substance. Well, then how did your friend end up feeling uh, Wired? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a... We'll talk about this in a second, but if you've ever drank too much coffee, and you get that kind of feeling, you know? Um, if that's got a name, we'll talk about it in a sec. But it, it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant. But you, it's something, it's the behavioral tolerance thing. Again, you'd be used to it. And you'd want to, you don't want to be twitchy. The worst thing is you can't be in the starting blocks because you get disqualified. Right? But again, behavioral tolerance, you'd be so used to it that you could stand still. Right? Getting ready to race. And your mark gets set, go. So I bet speed skaters will see the Olympics. I bet they've, they've all taken some caffeine. Again, not a lot, not so much that you wouldn't pass the drug test. It increases your time in light sleep, and many of you will realize this if you are not heavy caffeine users, but then you go out one night and you have, say you've had a couple of Cokes or a couple of, a couple of uh, cups of coffee, you spend more time in stage one and stage two sleep. 
you know, you don't get down to three and four in REM, the really good stuff. And it can actually counteract barbiturates. So if I, if I give you betamarzol, um, I can counteract that with caffeine. So a lot of times when people go in and they have an overdose to barbiturates, barbiturates or benzodiazepines, you'll be given a shot of caffeine. With alcohol, because alcohol doesn't work so works so differently than other drugs, what it will do is it will make you a wide awake drunk. Uh, the, the problem with, and this was the, the whole problem with the sort of Red Bull and, and vodka thing, right? It's the behavioral part of it. You then think you can drink more. What are the things that you, what are the sort of uh, cues you get that you've had too much to drink and you should slow down is that you get, too, you get drowsy. You get tired, you feel a little bit lethargic, it's like, yeah, I probably have to stop here. But now you don't get tired and lethargic because you've had a bunch of caffeine. So if you've been drinking Red Bull and vodka or Spanish coffee, it's funny, nobody ever complains about Irish coffee and Spanish coffee. They're, oh, it's a horrible scourge on our youth. It's because people's dads drink those. But if it's Red Bull and vodka, everybody will die. I don't, again, I don't like the taste of Red Bull, so I wouldn't put vodka. Maybe better with vodka? I don't know. I'm going to drink vodka, I'm going to drink it with Fresca. Because I drink everything with Fresca. It's delicious. And sugar-free. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> By the way, when you start buying fre cases of Fresca, you're officially old. I'm just saying, I think I'm old now. Like my grandmother used to always have Fresca in her room. Oh, would you like a soft drink, David? I've got Fresca. <laughs> Except with that grandmother, she Smoke on. Would you like a soft drink? It's Fresca. Yes. <laughs> she lived to be 96. It was a pretty good run. Uh, small doses increase spontaneous motor activity in rats. Uh, this is a basically a taming effect, probably. They're running around a bit more because they're, they're not as... Oh, where the hell? I'll just use the word fear. They're not as afraid of open spaces, because typically rats don't like open spaces. So if you put them, again, spontaneous motor activity, blah, 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 open field, photo beams. Um, they'll break more photo beams. Large doses actually do the opposite. They're getting, what Nicole asked, what they're getting is basically, they're getting strung out on caffeine. <laughs> That's a sort of horrible feeling, right? Of having too much coffee or something. That's an easy drug to understand. Yeah, it's about it, right? It increases fixed ratio responding. Um, fixed ratio responding, again, uh, the ratio of, re of responses to reinforcers. So an FR10 is 10 responses that we're talking to each of the rats, and we're talking about bar press. To a bar, every 10th response gets a food pellet, curing a rat child. We give them real things. Uh, we know it affects timing. If we look at timing behavior, the way you measure timing behavior is you use fixed intervals. So the first response after 10 seconds, this one is quite on my marker, but here's an L. First response after 10 seconds, let's say, gets a reinforcer. Okay, the animal gets very good at this. They, they time it out such that they can um, only respond right around 10 seconds. It's good at it. It's just an internal clock thing. And in fact, you can measure, you then give them what we call empty trials. So you, when they're pushing at a bar, that for one time instead of giving a response, or you know, sort of reinforce after 10 seconds, you just give them nothing. And let's see when they, exactly when they respond and when they stop responding. And if you sum all those together, you get a really pretty curve. It looks like that, centered around 10 seconds. Yes, you get a normal distribution. It's really nice. Nature's cool. Now, one of the things that happens if you give them caffeine is that this will move over. So it might be now, or maybe that's now eight seconds. Note something though. The spread of the distribution, you want to call it standard deviation, you want to talk about variance, you want to talk about a spread, which is just a measurement halfway up the distribution in both sides. Um, is the same, that means the error in their internal clock is the same, right? The error in their estimate is the same. Because sometimes they're, they're pushing the bar too early, sometimes too late. 
but on average, right on, on the button. But the clock's moving faster. So it's got the same amount of error, but it's moving faster. Make sense? So that's how we can tell how fast the clock is going and what, what, how much error there is in the clock. Animal timing research hard. I'm the first author of an animal timing paper that I don't think I completely understand. Let's just say that. I mean, I did the math. I think I understood it at the time. I've read it since, and I go, I don't know. Something to do with logarithms, I'm not sure. I think there were logarithms. No, I don't think there were exponential functions. It was crazy. It was a crazy time. <laughs> you got an increase in suppressed behavior. Suppressed behavior, I talked about this the other day. Again, this is with rats, typically. Um, when you train the rat up to push a bar, to, to get food, that's easy. That's pretty trivial. Anybody, a monkey could train a rat to do that. Then, that's a cool experiment, and I'm gonna talk to some people and see if we can run that. Now, the next thing that happens, is you, while the rat's happily pressing your bar, and he's loving it, and you do it a little unpredictable, you do a variable uh, ratio. So sometimes, like variable ratio 10, so sometimes it's two, after two presses, sometimes it's 18, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's 17, sometimes it's 11, sometimes it's nine. Those numbers added up, and you average them, they're 10. It's unpredictable, so he's just gonna push all the time, over there. Like if, it's like if I gave you guys pop quizzes and you didn't know when they were going to be, which I believe is the definition of pop quiz, so I think that was redundant. You'd be studying all the time. You wouldn't have the, I study before tests. You'd be like, well, Dave could give us a quiz right now. You never know what's going to happen. So you get, you get a nice, really steady state responding. Then you put on a light and you shock the rat. Peter Gabriel shocked the monkey. Different, different, different experiment. So the rat stops responding when it gets shocked because it hurts. It's like, ow, what are you doing? Then it learns that the light predicts the shock. Wow, okay. Now it's learned that. Now we're going to put the light on without the shock and see how much it stops responding. Does that make sense? Because it's really kind of complicated. So first they learn the normal. First they learn the regular bar pressing. Then you, shock them. then you shock them with a light predicting the shock. Light comes on, then shock comes on while they're pressing the bottom. And then they'll shock. And then they'll eventually like once they've, yeah, they put that together, which doesn't take long. <laughs> they learn that pretty quickly. Um, hey, that light never came on before. Ah! You know, they learn that pretty quickly. <laughs> and it's not actually, it's just uncomfortable. When you hook it up properly, when you do a shock, when you, when you electrify the floor of an operant box, you put your, you put your hand in it when you're adjusting it. Uh, and it's not, it's just enough that you go, it just goes a little It's like, oh, that felt weird. It's not like you do it so much that they, their eyes turn into light bulbs and, and they smoke, like on cartoons. It's not like that at all. Okay, so, what this does, this gives us a nice thing called suppression ratio. We can look at the ratio of when the light's on versus when the light's off. We get an actual measure of learning, which is how little they're responding. It's kind of cool. So we then give them caffeine, and it actually increases suppressed responding. Why would that be? Why do you think caffeine would increase suppressed responding? Ideas? Sort of psychological mechanism. I'm not talking about the, the, the wet stuff. What's happening in software in our head there? What do you think? You, you have no ideas at all? So suppressed behavior is the, just the light turning on? And it's, it's, well, the suppressed behavior would be pushing the bar when the light's on. So actually they push the bar more now when the light's on. Oh, okay. So why would that happen? Ideas. 
Some of you guys are writing stuff and like just, what are you writing out? Everything I say? Ideas. <laughs> could, it, could it increase pain tolerance? Possibility. I don't think that's the case, but that's a good guess. Because remember, they're not, they're not in pain now because the light comes on, there's no shock. Could it be that they are not able to pay attention to the pain for as long? Now, now that's a possibility, right? But the thing is, caffeine tends to allow for more focus in caffeine users, and these rats are caffeine users. They've been, they've been given caffeine before. Another good guess, though. Go ahead. Yeah. So maybe that's the case. That's a nice one. That's, a, that's, a, that's another good possibility. What's another good possibility? So that they get more in before the neurological clock. But might that be the case without the caffeine, too? What about they're just not afraid anymore? Remember, the light is predicting something unpleasant. They fear the light. I fear the light. Which sounds like something someone would say in some sort of adventure game. But I fear the light! <laughs> so maybe it is something that's removing fear. That's a possibility. No one really knows why. So that's why, I'm, what, what ideas do we have? Right? We know it does this, but why is that the case? Uh, let's see. Remember to also increase spontaneous motor activity in rats running around? Well, maybe it's kind of, maybe this is very a similar kind of mechanism. Uh, that was a fear thing. Again, people usually interpret that as a fear thing. So they're just not as afraid anymore. Could be. A lot of the ideas you guys said were sensible. Who knows why? I don't know. Um... It generalizes to cocaine, but not, a, not amphetamine. So if you train a rat, again, we're going to use rats here, to take, you give them caffeine in the, remember the, in the white box and in the, in the black box, right? And then in the white box, they get uh, caffeine. And then they need more in the black box to get the same effect, right? The contextual cues. They will generalize that to cocaine. So it'll work the same way with cocaine right away if you've never had cocaine before, but not amphetamine, which is, again, I don't understand why that would be the case. It really, because amphetamine and cocaine feel very similar, apparently. So subjectively. Having done neither of them, well, not one of them anyway. I've never done cocaine. I haven't been in this country. Psychologically, how does caffeine or you know, coffee make you feel? Um, humans are incredible at discriminating caffeine levels. We can discriminate caffeine pills from placebos that have as little as 1.8 milligrams of caffeine in them. So you take it and go, I had caffeine. So I give you a very small amount of caffeine and a very small amount, like two drinks. So you do this usually with a drink or with a pill. So I give you a drink, you drink it down. And then I give you another drink, you drink it down. Of course, this is an A-B kind of design where obviously you have to make sure the caffeine's gone. Um, and half the people get the caffeine one first and half the people, you know, we're not idiots. Um, and it turns out that people can discriminate down to about 1.8 milligrams. That's a, that's a sip of coffee. Look at that. That's got caffeine in it. And it's not by taste because it's how they're feeling because it's masked with peppermint. You typically, usually in these kind of taste experiments with drinking, you mask it with a really strong flavor. Usually it's uh, peppermint oil, which is so strong that you can't even taste a raw grade alcohol. All you have, but you have minty fresh breath. Minty fresh caffeine breath. Coffee or caffeine makes you feel energized, focused, and motivated. And this, by the way, and this is people, these are self-reports. You ask people, how does caffeine make you feel? And this is, in fact, the same in users as it is in non-users. So if you take someone who's literally, take Eric, who doesn't drink very much coffee, he still feels energized, focused, and motivated when he has some caffeine. Don't you, Eric? Isn't that true? Exactly those are the words you were thinking of, isn't it? So. <laughs> Here we're talking, by the way, at low to moderate doses, between 20 and 200 milligrams, somewhere between a chocolate bar and a cup of coffee.
This is, you know, we, you know, we get the idea of adenosine because state use leads to more adenosine receptors uh, so in your central nervous system, so it's probably an adenosine thing. Um, if a big dose is given to non-users, that's a different thing. Big dose here, we're talking over 200, so we're talking 500 to 1,000 milligrams of caffeine being given to a non-caffeine user. Um, they don't report being invigorated and excited and happy, or whatever the hell the words were. Okay. They report being, uh, they report panic attacks, basically. Because they aren't used to it now, and most of us don't realize this, because almost all of us in the room have a cup of coffee in the morning. So you don't realize that one of the things it's doing is your heart starts beating faster. It just happens. And your pupils dilate. It just happens. So things are bright, the world's brighter, and your heart's beating faster. Now, if you give somebody who's not used to that effect lots of caffeine, they can feel their heart go, and the world gets all bright, and they think they're having a heart attack. Yeah, I've watched I, um, a woman that I knew in Newfoundland uh, who worked at the bar, was also my honor student, Bianca, uh, didn't drink coffee. And she'd have a bit of caffeine and she would get like that. She'd get all shaky and stuff like that. So her boyfriend at the time used to always be slipping caffeine into things you know, just to, for fun because he was playing mean. Um, but it was, I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't funny. But it's pretty mean too. But it's funny. Um, yeah, it's an unpleasant experience if you're a non-user. Withdrawal symptoms? Okay. How many people wake up with a headache, a bit of a headache until they have a cup of coffee? Anybody here? Yeah? Good. How many people here have flu-like symptoms? What do I mean? Stuffed up, achy and sore. How are you at until they have a cup of coffee? Yeah? Okay, just apparently us too. All right. How about just you're pissed off in the morning until you have a cup of coffee? Yeah, a bunch of us, eh? Okay. Chantal and I apparently have a real, real problem with caffeine. That's okay. This isn't something, by the way, to worry about. About 130 million North Americans report these symptoms. So most of you were lying. Uh, but 130 million North Americans uh, have withdrawal symptoms from caffeine, meaning they are caffeine dependent. Wow, that's about, uh, depending on, uh, the North Americans, that's Canadians and Americans together. Depending on how you do the math, that's 80-odd percent of adults in North America. Okay? And that comes typically from about 100 milligrams a day. In other words, a cup of, I drink one cup of coffee a day, sometimes two. And I feel like that in the morning. Until I pull that thing out with the Keurig thing and do the thing, and then it goes, and it's like, oh yeah. And I have that one brief moment before Jonathan runs by yelling something about my little pony. <laughs> I don't like MLP anymore. And then it's back to reality. All right, um, reinforcing properties. Now, it's hard to get animals to self-administer this. This isn't surprising because they don't have the same. It's more like they're having a 85 cups of coffee kind of feeling because they're like kids a lot, right? So it's harder to get them to do it. It'll actually prime cocaine use, though. So if you give a rat caffeine and then give it, and this is a rat that already knows about cocaine. Um, so it's lived on the streets <laughs> or it's, been, it's lived in Rob Ford's house. Um, you give a rat Caffeine, it's then more likely to choose to take, take cocaine. There's lots of variation in humans uh, in how we, the sort of, how we take it. First of all, there are task demands. And we, how many people here hardly ever drink coffee except when they're studying and they brew up a big pot of coffee? A lot of us have done that, right? I used to do that, sure. Or if you have to really pay attention, you might have coffee. 
right? You're in a class that's boring. How many people here before they go to a boring class get a cup of coffee? I used to do that. I do that before I teach boring classes, but I don't teach anything boring. Everything I teach is exciting, even the advanced statistics course. The only thing I teach that's boring really is when I get into Skinner in the learning class. Usually I start to nod off while I'm talking. That's how boring my material is. Our caffeine experience changes how we ingest caffeine as well. So typically, when you, most of us start drinking caffeine, what, early teens, drinking coffee. And that's the major uh, delivery mechanism for caffeine world over is coffee. You didn't tend to, you might have had one in the morning with breakfast, you didn't tend to say that after dinner have a cup of coffee. Right? The more caffeine that you ingest, the more likely you are you get the behavioral tolerance and you can have a cup of coffee after dinner, for example. My parents, um, when we all, my brother and my sister and I were all still living at home, um, I moved out when I was 22 in graduate school, so my, my brother would have been 20 and my sister then would have been 13. We used to go through five pounds of coffee a week. Then I moved out, it was four. Then Dan moved out, it was three. Steph moved out, it was two. I imagine that my dad died, it's only down to one. And it's my mom. So we drank a lot of coffee and we always were having it after dinner and stuff like that. But I remember not doing that when I was younger. When I was 12 or 13 years old, I was like, I better not do that. I'll be up all night. And I'm already a 13-year-old boy and I'm just generally pissed off because I play a know-it-all. The demand is exceedingly inelastic. I've talked about this before. In 1978, 79, coffee was worth $6 a pound. I wonder, I'm afraid to turn on my iPad because maybe it'll take over the slideshow again. But I'm just curious. No, no, no. Okay. I've got to grill that app right now. Because I want to find out how much money $6 is in today's money. How do we Google that? Value of a $19.79. I love the Google machine. That's not what I, oh, there we go. <laughs> I didn't want to know the value of a certain coin from a year. I want to know. Okay, $19.79 worth about $3 today. So that's $18 a pound. And coffee didn't, really, people kept buying it. People kept buying it. So that'd be the equivalent of coffee. And that's freaking Maxwell House. That's shitty coffee. That's not good coffee. That's your Folgers. That's your Nabob. Or, you know, uh, no name black and yellow just says coffee on it. <laughs> Or the one selection. <laughs> or what's the one from Walmart? Our best or something like Great that? Value. Our, yeah. our, our <laughs> what is it? Our value? Great, Great, Great value. value. Yeah. Usually when items say Great Value, they aren't. That's just sort of one of those things. Like it was eighteen dollars a pound. People go, well, I need coffee. So this is one of those times, in fact, that you started seeing people, they, they were, there were cheaper coffees on the market, but they were cut with something, basically. Cut with Ajax, man. Actually, no, it was chicory. Or other uh, plants that you could roast, and they'd be bitter. And that was invented, in fact, in Germany in World War II. Um, because, well, there was a, I don't know if you know about World War II, but it was a really big war. Um, and it was hard for the Germans to get any coffee because, you know, everybody was at war with Germany because they were bad. They couldn't get to Africa and South America. Eventually, the Germans all went to South America. Nothing? No? You don't know what Nazi war criminals going to South America? Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So they were put to chicory. In fact, they were making coffee that they called it Irzatz coffee. And it got to the point where they weren't, it wasn't coffee at all. Okay, bad stuff. Uh, could this coffee cause, does caffeine cause cancer? Uh, probably not. The data on this are pretty... There was some stuff saying that excessive amounts were, but it's pretty much been debunked. There's something called caffeinism, and this is what I was talking about with Nicole, and I said the idea of drinking 10 cups of coffee in a short period of time. 
And that's when you get that, I wouldn't call it psychotic kind of behavior, but you get shaky and nervous and a little paranoid. That's a lot of coffee, by the way. That's like 10 cups in 20 minutes. And if you've done that to stay awake overnight, don't do that to stay awake while you're studying. A cup and a half will be fine. I've done this uh, once. I used to be a TA. When I was in grad school, I was a TA for a learning lab course with a guy that hadn't read an article since the 1960s. So all this stuff, we were replicating. Well, and I had to go to the class, I, which was just amazing to me. So I would sit there and he'd talk about these experiments from the 40s that we were, he would have the students replicate. And I was just bored. But I, you can't fall asleep when the guy who you're TAing for is talking. It's bad form. So I used to make a pot of coffee and bring it with me to the class. <laughs> and one time I made really strong coffee and drank this whole pot of coffee. And afterwards I was just like, this is really good. <laughs> you, feel kinda, you feel your heart beating and you're a little bit um, unsure of yourself. You think everybody's looking at you. <laughs> that kind of thing. That's caffeinism. It goes away. It's pretty harmless. Can you overdose on caffeine? Yes. Somewhere between uh, 3,000 and 80, sorry, 30,000, 30, so 3,000 and 8,000 milligrams of caffeine. That's obviously done with pills. You can't drink that many, because that's, that's 80 cups of coffee at once. You couldn't do that. Deep, deep water would, alone would do you in. Uh, Overdoses of caffeine on caffeine are so rare, they tend to be reported in the media. They're exceedingly rare. Stimulants are hard to overdose on. Oh, I'm too awake. Depressants, I'm asleep and I will never wake up again. It makes some sense, right? So it's harder to overdose on, on, on stimulants. It's a pretty safe drug. Um, does it cause chromosomal damage? This was really poorly done research where I am, and I'm not making this up. You take cells in a petri dish and you drop caffeine on it. Yeah, that'll damage the cell. <laughs> so it will, that'll happen if you use your own mother's milk. Like you don't just drop shit on cells. <laughs> you know, if you kick it, they get damaged. Beaten, cause chromosome damage. Um, is, there's some, some people have said that it, High levels, caffeine can be like a neurotoxin. No, not really. I mean, look, again, at levels that are so completely ridiculous, of course. Yes, but it would have to be, no one takes that much caffeine. So don't worry. Is there a cardiac effect? In other words, well, you might think, you know, it's a stimulant. You can, and again, if you've had too much coffee someday, you can feel your heart beating. Well, that's kind of unpleasant, right? And if you don't know what that is, you might think you're having a heart attack, whatever. Um, there, in fact, were some data suggesting years ago that it affected uh, the bad cholesterol. The drinking coffee, significantly, statistically significantly, not probably practically significant, would raise cholesterol levels. Turned out, most of this work was done in Sweden. And as we know, because it's an Olympic year, we can't trust the Swedes. No. Um, the way co coffee's made in places, a lot over Europe, Europe it's much more tasty, which is the French press method, right? Delicious that way. But you get a lot more coffee oil in the coffee that way. If you ever make coffee from French press, which I suggest you do because it's much tastier than, than legit coffee, um, you look at your cup of coffee, if you've got freshly ground beans, you will see droplets of coffee oil on top, which are delicious. But it's coffee oil. It might be raising. Right? So it might have been that. Turns out if you do, if you take the same amount of coffee that people are drinking and you do it with drip coffee, no effect. Besides, the effect here was so small, people shouldn't worry. Um, now, so caffeine is a pretty safe drug. Caffeine is a pretty safe drug. It's almost ubiquitous in the world. One of the things that you 
can be concerned about, there is not, by the way, an international coffee conspiracy. I'm being kind of clever there. Just kind of, but I'm not doing it. Is that there are research conferences that are about, for capital researchers, people that do biochemistry, people do behavioral stuff, and a lot of it is sponsored by coffee companies. So it makes you wonder, and what you should realize is that usually people take money and don't, you know, it's like, they'll take their money from whoever to fund their research and they'll do it. And there's never been any pressure reported from companies for people to report negative, about people reporting negative results about these caffeine. But it still is one of those things where it's like, a little bit weird, a little bit weird. But, you know, coffee companies aren't like cigarette companies. Don't, don't two in the same place. One of them makes a deadly, deadly product. This is pretty sick. Caffeine is pretty sick stuff. You know, and we always hear people saying, I'm trying to get healthy, I'm not going to ingest so much caffeine. Really, that's not a thing. It's not something to worry about. It really, really isn't. Uh, you want to get healthy, don't eat so many chips. <laughs> you know, that's healthier than worrying about your caffeine. What's how are you, okay? Good. Thank you. You need another cup of coffee, right? Yeah. Okay. We've established that you have a lot of serious withdrawal symptoms. You're going to get really mean soon, aren't you? You're going to want a big perk. It hangs together somehow. So I wouldn't worry about this. All I'm saying is that it's something to think about. Think aren't good. They're horrible. Um, questions? Just one very quickly. Sorry. You feel like you can get your money's worth today or something? Or? We're only 25 minutes until we finish. No, we won't. We would finish in 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's quarter after. Quarter after. So, you know, I mean, you're 10 minutes short, so I could, I could, I don't know. Please don't. Do some tr I can do some tricks. You ever seen this one? <laughs> oh, yeah? see? oh, wait, I'm on the other end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's no good for you. Yeah, see now. My grandfather did it for years. I will pull it his finger. Anything else? All right. Oh, Thanks, good. Yeah, oh, don't wait. Yes? Um, is there more caffeine in like a shot of espresso than like a regular size? That's a good question. But the same amount of caffeine in a shot of espresso as there is in a cup of coffee. This is why drinking a big mug of espresso has a lot of caffeine in it. And that's just because of the brewing method. It's, it's very strong coffee and the way it's brewed. It's really not good. Espresso beans actually probably have <laughs> less caffeine in sort of a, a lighter roast. But because you pack it down and make espresso properly, and you, when you when you pour the water through it, just the whole process draws out more caffeine. So you end up with a little tiny shot of espresso will have 100 milligrams of caffeine. So if you have a big mug of espresso, it's like you're having five cups of coffee. Yeah, that's a good question. I usually mention that, but that's it. Anything else? I will try to speak more slowly next time in order to draw things out.
his key gives him a grave Daddy loves his guitar When you're on drugs you can't go far And write a brand new tune That may be fine that you tattoo And then do it all again And then again and then again Until it puts you through This screwed up sin of misery That's when you think of You think of me Podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right, giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want. Okay. Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.